Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, last week in our series that we called Visual, it's about reflecting the beauty of Jesus. And if you haven't been with us, let me just catch you up to speed. Every week we show you a painting, uh, some type of artwork. And as we show you this artwork, the concept is, is it's to communicate a gospel story. Um, have you heard the term Lectio Divina? Lectio Divina, it simply means this, sacred reading. It's where you would sit alone and you would open God's word and you would read a story, but you read it over and over and over again. And you're trying to set aside your agenda and say, God, what do you want to speak to me, right? That's Lectio Divina. Uh, Visio Ravina is this, is you would sit down and you would look at some type of uh, painting or some type of artwork and you would look at it in such a way and, and just say, God, what do you want to communicate to me? through this biblical story, but it, it's a painting of a biblical story. And so we're going to do both this morning. Lectio Divina, I'm going to read something, and I want you to um, ask yourself this question. God, what do you want to speak to me this morning? And so we're also going to look at this portrait of this Bible story that is from Mark chapter 4 and just say, God, how do you want to speak to us today? So I, I want to start by just asking two quick questions before we look at this together. Uh, one is this. When's the last time you had chaos in your life? Why are you laughing? Is it, it's because you had it this morning on the way to church. And all those people said, amen. Wow, this is, God prepped you for today. Question number two, not just when, did, when was your last moment of chaos? And even if it was minor chaos, um, how did you respond? Were you sad? Were you aggressive? Were you mean? Were you disheartened? I mean, were you surprised? I mean, how did you respond? Because what we're about to look at is a super chaotic moment. And we're going to look at how God's people responded to this. Because what interrupts our peace is chaos. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I'm just going to read this story to you. But we're going to look at this Famous painting. Rembrandt painted this in 1611. It's called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. This painting, the actual painting, is five feet tall by four feet wide. And I want to read to you the story that inspired Rembrandt to paint this. Here it is in Mark chapter 4. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm and he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at this and we're going to make some observations about the pictures. Um, let's do this for, for just a moment. As we look at this whole picture, there's obviously darkness. It's a very dark 
picture. This, this picture is almost cut diagonally with light on one side and darkness on the other in a raging storm that is quite a wave that is swamping over the boat. So the darkness and the storm is penetrated though by light, which means this, light is always the symbol of God or the symbol of hope. So this, this situation is not without hope. But what I want you to recognize is there's actually a discrepancy in this painting with, with the, what I just read to you from the Bible. So if the disciples of Jesus and Jesus are in the boat, how many people are in the boat? I know you're afraid to answer, right? How many disciples are there? There's 12, yeah, yeah. And then plus one is 13. There should be 13 people in the boat, right? Why are you so afraid to answer that question? You're like, I know what the pastor does. He like suckers us in, yeah. Rembrandt paints actually 14 people in the boat. Why would he do that? Well, we're gonna have to zoom in on this. So we're gonna zoom in on this so that we can actually start counting and, and looking at all the people in the boat. Rembrandt does this because of this. He paints himself into the picture. If you look at the guy in blue at the very bottom, it's a self-portrait of Rembrandt. It's, it's believed that he painted himself into this picture. And where's he looking? He's looking right at you. As if to say, oh yeah, what would you do if you were in the boat? And that's the question that you want to ask. Yeah, look at what everybody else was doing, but he's looking at you to say, if you were here, what would you do? So here's what's interesting. All the other people in the boat, they're having a different reaction from each other. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at the reactions of the other disciples in the boat and ask this question. What would you do if you were in the boat? Now, you probably know what you would do because you've had chaotic moments in your life, right? Where you had no peace and it was like, oh, what am I going to do, right? So here's the first option, ready? Maybe you're the leader. You're the guy at the top left. He's looking back at everybody else and he's actually trying to do something so that everybody will be saved. That front sail is not functioning right and so he's gonna get out there and he's gonna save the day and maybe you're the leader. You're the one who stands up and takes charge in chaos. If you look at the other three men at the bottom of the, the mast there, the main sail and the boom are not connected. So these three guys, I'm just gonna call them the fixer. Now, the fixers are different than the leaders. Leaders are like, hey, how's everybody doing? What can I do? Fixers are like, I don't care about everybody else. I'm just going to fix the problem. Maybe you're a fixer. If you look at this next guy, he's like, I don't care about anybody else. I'm just hanging on. Like, if I survive, great. The rest of y'all, good luck. I can swim. And maybe you're the kind of person who's, listen, I'm, I'm just going to hang on. I'm not going to change my situation. I'm not going to try and fix it. But you just keep hanging on, but why don't you change your situation? This other guy, he's just afraid. He's the man in gray on the right side of the boat, and his face to me says that he is just filled with fear, and maybe that's you. Then when chaos hits, you just get afraid, sometimes frozen in fear. The guy at the bottom of the boat, he's clearly not a fisherman because he's throwing up over the edge. I don't know if he's, he's not Peter the fisherman, right? Maybe he's Matthew the tax collector and he hasn't spent much time out on the Sea of Galilee, but he is just sick. And just question, when you hit chaos, does your body react in such a way physically that you just get sick and ill and broken? 
uh, there's two men who are in the boat who are looking directly at Jesus. And uh, to me, it looks like they're angry, like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're letting us down. Have you ever had a chaotic moment in your life that robbed you of peace and you kind of look to God like, God, what are you doing? I'm angry, God. Why did you let this happen? There's another man in the boat, kind of in the lower left. Um, He sits by himself. His face is pointed away from us. And so we're not sure if he's sitting there confident or if he's actually sitting there isolated. Question, maybe that's you. When storms hit, you isolate yourself from people. You just try to endure it, but you do it alone. There's another person, and he's actually the most difficult person to see in the entire picture. Uh, He's just above the guy who's throwing up. You can just see his head that is bowed and his hands clasped in prayer, and he's praying. He's calling out to God, and maybe that's you. When the storm of your life hits, you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to call out to you because I trust you. Um, there's one other guy in there. He's at the helm. He's steering the boat. Seems older than most. Looks strong. He grips the rudder. And I don't know if he's like, we got this, and he's confident, or if he's more like laissez-faire, like, hey, whatever it is, what it is, we're either going down or going to survive, but here we go. Like, I don't know, some of you, maybe you're just confident in your life, like, God's got this. We're going to be fine. Or maybe you're like, eh, it could be totally catastrophic. Whatever, who cares? Those are different approaches. How do you handle the storms in your life? By the way, there's one more person in the boat, and it's Jesus. And uh, I'm not quite sure what his face says. He's like, why are you waking me up? I don't even know how Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. Maybe because he was, well, tired. But he's the only one at peace, and we know this, that he stands up and declares peace. So you remember the two questions I asked you? I wonder if you'd jot a note down real quick. Hopefully you have paper in front of you. You got a program when you came in. Just grab a pen real quick. There's probably one in the chair in front of you, and I want you to write something down. What's the storm you're going through? You can write one word, two words, just something that will remind you. And it's not like you're going to forget it because you don't forget storms. It's more of an admonition. Uh, I'm sorry, an admission. I kind of want you to confess it. Like, hey, this is the storm. This is the thing that when I think about it or I walk into it, I don't really have peace. I feel anxiety. I feel pressure. I feel hurt. Write it down. I dare you. Why are you looking at me? I asked you to write something down. At least look down and pretend like you're writing it down. What's the storm that you're going through? The other thing I'd love for you to write down is this. Um, How are you reacting to that storm? I mean, which one of the disciples are you? And don't miss the story because the next scene after that painting is that Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm and he said to them, why are you afraid? Make no mistake about it. Jesus has the power to cease storms. The ones on the Sea of Galilee and the one that you just wrote down too. 
He has the power to actually calm the things around you, but he also has the power to do this, even if the storm rages on, to give you an internal peace. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to talk about this peace because Jesus, the night that he was arrested, he actually promised his disciples that he would give them peace. My question is this, what kind of peace? Because I don't think it's very clear to us, and I want to make sure it is crystal clear today so that you can actually have one of these three kinds of peace. I hope you'll have all three types of it. But there's a progression to it that you have to start with number one before you get to number two, and before you get to number two, before you get to number three, you got to have two. So what kind of peace did Jesus offer? Here's what he said in John 14. Remember, this is the last dinner that he's having with his disciples before he gets arrested and goes and dies on the cross. Here's what he says. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's like, here it is. You ready? It's right here. I'm going to give you peace. So I want you to do this. The first kind of peace is this. It's peace received. Now, what what does that mean? Jesus is foreshadowing what was about to happen on the cross, that once he died and was resurrected, he would have this gift of peace to offer people. The apostle Paul, he wrote about it in Romans chapter five. This is what it says. Since therefore we've been justified through faith. What does that mean? We've been pronounced innocent. Like all the charges against you, your sinful life, against my sinful life have been forgiven. You're pronounced free to go. No more charges against you. You're innocent. You've been justified. By what? By faith. By the belief that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It goes on. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. I want to be really clear about this. This is not the feeling of peace. If someone asks you like, hey, how's your peace? You normally think about this. Am I feeling at peace? This is not what this is talking about. This is factual peace. It's contractual peace. Uh, This is what I mean by this. If there's a war between two countries and there's a peace treaty drawn up, that's actually, you have peace between those two countries. This is what Paul is writing about. We were enemies of God at war with him. And when Jesus dies on the cross, is resurrected, he's like, I've paid for all of your sins. So you're no longer an enemy, but we now are at peace. That's not a feeling. That's a fact. Colossians, it describes it this way. Let me read this to you. I would highly recommend reading this if you don't understand this peace with God, reading this and just over and over again this week. Here's here's what it says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, meaning that Jesus was completely God. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself, that means to bring them back, no longer enemies, but reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, there it is, through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21 goes on. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, most people are like, I was never an enemy of God. I wasn't the best, but I had brothers and sisters who were worse. Right? If you understand the good news, it begins with this. You and I were enemies of God. 
We rebelled against him by our behavior. And he's like, but I drew up a peace treaty that you could receive and be a part of. It's not the feeling of peace, it's the fact of peace. This goes on to say this, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God drew up a peace treaty written in the blood of Christ and invited you to be adopted into his family. The only thing that you can do is you can receive it. You see, you're either an enemy of God or a child of God. There's no in-between. This is what the scriptures declare. So the question is, do you have it? And I'm not asking, do you have the feeling of peace? Do you have the fact of peace? In this, um, in this, as we're thinking about this receiving peace, here's what our storm is. Our storm is our sin experience. We've sinned against God. We've all broken our own moral code, much less God's moral code, right? Who do you think is higher, your moral code or God's moral code, right? We're enemies of God. But his gift is this. I offer you a contract. I offer you the New Testament as the evidence that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you receive it, listen, you have peace with God. Don't worry about the feeling. It's the fact that you've been declared a child of God. Um, have you ever heard this uh, when a person gets near the end of their life and someone says, oh, I have to go make peace with God? You've heard that phrase, right? You can't make peace with God. Jesus already made peace with God for you. You can only receive it. So that's the starting place. It's the first kind of peace. There's two different kinds, but I want to make this super clear. For you to get the second and third kind of peace, you have to start at that first kind of peace. It's peace with God, that you're no longer an enemy of him. You are forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross, and you receive this relationship with him, completely forgiven, adopted into his family. That's peace with God receiving it. The second, though, is this. It's peace internalized. And this is what everybody thinks about. Hey, how's your peace? Hmm, let me feel, hmm, yeah, I'm kind of at peace. It's this feeling of peace. It's the quiet calmness of the soul that we want to experience. Um, that same dinner that Jesus had with his disciples, I read to you a statement from the beginning of the dinner. At the end of the dinner, this is what he said. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home, and you will leave me all alone. And yet I am not alone. And if, if you're looking in your Bibles, uh, you, you can underline this in John 16, 32. It says, for my father is with me. That's why Jesus had peace because he knew he wasn't alone, that God was with him. He goes on to say this in 1633. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. These disciples, they're going to be scattered. They're going to run because they're going to be afraid because the Romans are arresting Jesus and they think they're going to be next. But you will have peace. And this peace isn't the same thing as this contractual peace with God. He's saying this, your world is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But internally, you can actually have this peace with God. Jesus had the peace, and he, because of what? Because my Father is with me. You want to have a, an internal peace? It has to start at that first one that says God is with you. That you're no longer an enemy of God. But then it goes to this number two. It's this experience of peace. 
Our problem is this. Our storm is that we're going to have trouble in our life. There's going to be things because we live in a broken, sinful world that are going to interrupt our peace and steal it and rob it away. But in the midst of that, listen, you can have this internal peace because God is with you. Listen to me. Later on, Jesus would describe this. When I leave, there's going to be someone that I send to you. He's the Holy Spirit. Did you know this? That when you receive this peace with God, that that peace number one, you receive this Holy Spirit. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside them, which is the reminder and the experience that God is with you. God can supernaturally give you peace no matter whatever storm you wrote down in your notes. And that's what we all want, right? We just didn't realize, oh, there's a step one before we get to step two of peace. Um, Here's what I think is interesting. Some of us sit back and go, all right, God, then give me peace. I gave my life to you. I'm a Christian. So just give me this peace. Give me this peace. Give me this peace. Yet our habits never change. Do you know this though? That when Paul wrote about it, Tyler mentioned this just a couple minutes ago, that, that Paul knew all kinds of peace, though his life was super chaotic. And he gives this advice and says this, you can actually put some practices, some spiritual practices into your life so that you can develop peace. Here's what he says. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you know what it means like to transcend all the understanding? It means this. It doesn't make sense. I should be worried. I should be anxious. I should be sad over this. I should be broken over this. Sadness is not a feeling against God. It is a natural feeling to the brokenness of this world, and we need to feel that. But he's saying some of us live with such anxiety that we're not actually living in this peace with God. And he says this, bring your prayers to me. Talk to me about them in every situation. Just ask me to intervene. And he might change your circumstance or he might just change your heart and give you peace. He gives us another practice. The very next verse, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want you to think about such things. Question, when you're in a storm, do you think like that? How many of you are catastrophizers? I'm raising my hand. It's me. What could possibly go wrong in this situation? You're like, well, let me list it alphabetically because I got about a hundred things that I think could go wrong right now. By the way, we're great safety people. You want us on the safety team, all right? But we can be horrible people of peace because we're imagining all the things that can go wrong. Ask God for peace. But would you make the mental shift to go, I'm going to start thinking about those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy because our thinking, our habits often dictate the condition of our hearts. Someone's got to change our habits. You with me? Peace. It's a gift of God, but it is also this exercise that we can take ourselves out of this peaceful feeling just by receiving anxiety and dwelling on it. Peace is not just a gift. It's a result of spiritual practices that connect us 
to Jesus. So talk to God about your lack of peace. Tell him about the storm. Ask him for help. Be thankful. Focus on the things that are good. Develop healthy spiritual practices and watch the peace rise in you. It is both miraculous and connected to our habits all at the same time. Now, it's important because the progression matters. We have to first receive this peace with God. And then we get this peace internalized. And then it comes to this third part of peace that I think is the most difficult. Paul, after all the people that abused him and beat him, tortured him, he writes this in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, which means this, it might not be possible. You can do everything to live at peace with someone and it might not be possible. They might be that bad. But as far as it depends on you, that means you make the first move. Again and again and again, you be the person of peace. As far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. Here's our storm. Our storm is this. It's people. It's hurt. It's offense. Those people who've harmed us and hurt us, we either write them off or we get revenge. Paul says, no, no. As, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Listen to this. I'm going to say this statement. Your peace with God. Remember? Your peace with God and your peace within, your peace internalized. These two will empower your ability to offer peace to others. See, you have to experience this gift of God and your own brokenness of being an enemy of God and all the things that you've done wrong to create a humility in you to say, God, I, I didn't deserve it, God, but wow, you, you offered me peace. And God, in the storms of my life, I was in the midst of it and beyond my own understanding, you gave me peace peace. And so when you look at this, these people in your life and you're like, listen, I know I'm supposed to offer peace, but I don't want to. They deserve, pause, step back to the first piece. What did you and I deserve? Hmm. So I know that they don't deserve goodness or forgiveness. But, but I'm going to take the first step. And you're like, I'm going to do it, but it's not going to work, right? Come on, because we're all deeply spiritual people, right? We're like, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to offer some peas, a little olive branch, you know, I don't know, bring over a little cake, cookies, whatever. Like, you're going you're gonna to offer some peace. You're going to be the man or the woman of peace. And you're like, but listen, it ain't going to work, but that's okay. Now it's off of me, right? It's on them and I'm good. But, 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 but wait, 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 step back to two. God gave me a peace beyond all understanding. So in your mind, you're like, God, I don't know why, because the storm still rages, but you did something that was beyond my reason. But according to your reason over here, of course they're not going to receive that well. Really? So if we go just by your reason, listen, when you have peace with God and he can do something in you or around you to create peace either inside you or in the storm in your life, why can't he do that for somebody else? Come on. 
Those are the three types of peace. Let me see if I can uh, sink this home to you. Uh, this picture right here, this, this is a painting on the wall of a shop that is done by an artist known as Banksy. How many of you have heard of Banksy? It's an anonymous artist. No one knows who it really is. It could be one person, or it could be um, a group of people, or it could be uh, multiple people just anonymously painting paintings and claiming it's a Banksy. Um, This piece goes by two names. It's either called Love is in the Air or Rage the Flower Thrower. Not a great title. Rage the flower thrower. Let's zoom in on that picture. The man on this wall is angry, violent. He is dressed as a rioter. We know this picture well, right? I mean, we've seen enough rioting in the the last several years. We know what this looks like. He's winding up to throw a, a brick, a Molotov cocktail. But instead of that, instead of hurling violence, he throws flowers. Maybe the intent is that he even feels entitled to throw violence, but instead he's extending peace. Question for you, does anybody know the location of where this is painted? This is actually painted, uh, it was painted in 2002 on the the wall that separates the West Bank of Israel. Now, that might mean nothing to you, so let me back up and help you with a little bit of history of Israel. Not ancient history, but modern history of Israel, and I think this might make sense to you. If you look at this map of Israel, you'll see the Gaza Strip down there on the left and the West Bank. You know why the West, we hear the news of the West Bank all the time, right? You know why the West Bank is called the West Bank? Because it's like, I was like, weird. I was like, why is it called the West Bank? It's on the eastern side of Israel. It should be called the East Bank, right? It's on the western bank of the Jordan River. Here's the story. 1948, Israel's recognized as a nation. However, that land is still surrounded by people and still surrounded by people today who want to wipe Israel off the map. You look at their neighbors. Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia down there. They would all like to wipe Israel off the map and take that land. The West Bank and the Gaza Strip are areas where Palestinians live. They've been battling over Jerusalem and territories in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank for a long time. But you'll notice the the Gaza Strip to the left connects to Egypt, is actually controlled by Hamas today, which is a Palestinian Islamic military fundamentalist group. Go try and say that. There are people who would love to wipe out Israel. The West Bank is controlled by the Palestinian authorities. Now, Israel, they recognize the danger in the neighbors around them, and they built a wall more than 400 miles to protect themselves against these enemies. And I want you to be aware of this. When I say that, people will write that differently depending on who they sympathize with or who they are. A Palestinian will write that story and say, listen, Israel has invaded and occupied Palestine, and they need to get out. They are illegally doing that. And Israel will write that story very differently. 
Because the West Bank and the Gaza Strip allow in terrorist organizations that, that hurl bombs into our country, we are going to control to protect Israel. I completely understand that. Um, I tell you all of this because that Banksy painting is painted right along the wall that separates this militarized area where peace seems hopeless. This has been going on for decades and decades and decades and decades. That land hasn't known peace in centuries. Will peace really occur there? I think it's hopeless, to be honest. But that's just my mind and my human reasoning. And they paint a picture of someone who is entitled by looking at who he is, entitled to riot, entitled to hurl violence at another person. And Banksy paints a bouquet of flowers as a symbol of peace. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not sure he's an Israeli sympathizer. Usually when people paint art like this, it's because they want one side to hurl the peace. If you are a believer in Jesus, you're a Christian, and you're striving to be like Jesus, what will you throw at the people in your life? Will you throw harsh words? Will you throw criticism? Will you throw judgment? Will you throw fists? Will you throw lawsuits? Because Romans, Paul, the one who'd been mistreated for so long, writes, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. And it might not be possible, but it would, would it start with you? Would you throw humility? Would you throw grace? Would you throw flowers even? <laughs> would you throw listening instead of speaking? And I, I, I want to say this one more time. There's a progression to this peace. You first have to receive peace with God, and that makes you a Christian. That's crossing the line of faith. That is receiving that forgiveness and adoption into God's family. And in doing that, you will receive the Holy Spirit and have this experience of peace. But how many Christians live in this world and instead of hurling peace towards others and offering and extending it, we just harbor bitterness or criticism. The progression deeply matters. So here's, uh, here's what we're going to do today. This, the symbol that we use that we have peace with God is found in a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. And we call it communion or the Lord's Supper. And we eat this bread as a reminder that it was Christ's body that was broken on the cross. This is what allows us to be adopted into his family. And we drink this juice as a reminder it was his blood that was shed on the cross for us. That bread and that juice, that symbol, allows us to walk back to this and say, thank you, God, that I have the fact of peace in my life. And so if you're a Christian, we're going we're gonna to do that today. Um, we've kind of set it up differently. I, I hope this makes sense to you. Um, we've taken away our side communion tables. There's just three in the back and balcony we offered. There's a table up there too. We didn't forget about you. But this table over here, it represents peace with God, that first kind of peace. 
And there's a prayer card on there that I would invite you as you go receive communion to take that prayer card. And I would say this, for those of you in the room that you're not yet a Christian, but you need this peace with God and you're going to pray that today, God, I'm going to receive this gift of peace, this relationship with you. I'm going to become a Christian today. Or maybe there's some of you, you've wandered from God and maybe you prayed a prayer when you were a kid and you're like, yeah, but I don't live like a Christian and you have wandered from God and you're ready to come back to his family. You're welcome to take communion at that table today. I know it might sound weird, like, well, that table's just for me. Yeah, because there's a prayer about receiving that peace with God. I want you to pick up that card and you're welcome to take, there's just a cup there and on one side is bread, the other side is juice. I want you to go to that specific table. It's okay if you're sitting over there, you could walk all the way across the room. If you're going to receive Christ or rededicate your life to him, that's the table. You pick up that juice and cup, and then you can eat and drink that. And I want you to take that prayer card to remind you all week that you have peace with God. Now, there's others of you that as you take communion today, you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ. And by the way, that's that's the only prerequisite for, for participating with us in this communion. You have to be a follower of Jesus. If you are still rejecting him, you're still an enemy of his. Don't be. Because there's an eternity that he wants you with him. If you're a believer and yet you're struggling in a storm right now, you don't have peace, I want you to go to the back table to receive communion today. Because there's a prayer card on there that has a scripture directly related to this internalized peace within that he wants to give you that surpasses all understanding. And I think by going to these different tables, um, it might actually help you come to grips with what's going on in your, in your life right now. So that's the second table. By the way, you don't have to go to that table and that table and that table. Just one communion, okay? I try to make sure everybody's clear. There's a third table right over here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and yet it's become really clear through this message that um, you're at odds with somebody and you need to offer them peace. Somehow. You might not even know how. I'd love for you to go receive communion back there. And there's a prayer card on that table. I want you to take that card with you. And it's a reminder that you're going to do whatever you can to be a a man or woman of peace and offer that peace to people. Does it make sense? Hey, balcony folks, super glad you're with us. I think all three cards are at one table up there, all right? You can figure it out. How's your peace? Your peace with God, your peace within, and your peace with others. I hope God speaks to you in these moments. Let's pray. Lord, we're about to do something that I think can really um, galvanize what you want to say. And it can crystallize it in such a way that we're going to walk out of here different people or with a different mission or a different plan than what we walked in with. And for some of us, that storm that's been brewing It's been wrecking us and robbing us of peace. God, would you step in and intervene this morning? Either change the storm or change us, God. Bring peace to the storm or bring peace within. And I pray for all of those that, Lord, they're not yet yours and they're praying right now, God, I receive you. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your death and your resurrection. If they're becoming Christians today, God, I pray this is the flag in the ground, the moment that they will always remember that they became yours. So God, help us to enter into this time and know that you are with us. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen.